this is Captain Lee, and you're listening to the Andertons Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Anderson's TV and today it is my massive honour to be joined by uh, quite possibly the hardest working, most talented, uh, sublimely modest, uh, say no more, <laughs> Mr Albert Lee. That hardest um, working, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, it's just, and we, and we will get to that, but you, yes, mm. you are, um, you're just, you work so hard, you're a legend. I, I, Let's, let's just dive straight in there. I mean... Well, it's easy to become a legend if, you just, if, you, if you're still around in your, <laughs> in your 70s and you manage to do a gig or two. But yeah, no, it's, so uh, you bet. I, I've been very fortunate to get the, the gigs are still there for me. I think last time I saw you, you were celebrating your 70th year and you had... 250 gigs in the calendar that year or something it was just like unbelievable uh, yeah, yeah, yes yes it's getting to be that now 200 to 250 <laughs> good for you man well yeah. i i mean i guess so we you are definitely known as uh you know one of the finest guitar players that this country's ever produced uh but particularly known for um breaking a, a, the mold really a bit you know making your name as a country player you know from a from a country that perhaps typically hadn't produced uh, many country players yeah. um but so let's go back to that sort of you know where did where did the your love with the guitar you know first start well Lonnie Donegan right of course you know anybody of my age yeah were inspired by Lonnie and it was it was simple you know three All chords the skiffle, yeah and uh, and then started to uh, listen to the rock and roll, Buddy Holly, and his solos were relatively easy to uh, to copy and figure out. Where, oh yeah, he's doing that in the first position, and you know. So uh, and what, was it a musical upbringing though for you? Uh, I had piano lessons for a couple of years. My dad played the piano and the accordion a mm -hmm. little bit, you know, and he'd be uh, he'd play in the pub occasionally. He'd never earn any money, but someone <laughs> would buy him a beer, you know. But uh, yeah, I started started bashing on the piano at home, and uh, they, my parents said, "Oh, you better get you some lessons." And I think I was ten, right? Maybe, and I, I did I only did it for two years. I did I did a, almost a year with uh, one teacher, and then I kind of stopped for a while, and uh, we'd moved house, you know. Uh, Moved up. Uh, we were living in Greenwich when we, when I started my lessons, and then moved up to Blackheath, and uh, I started a new school, 
And uh, they said, well, you know, we better look for a piano teacher around here. So I've got another, another teacher who was a lot more strict than the, oh, the right. first one. <laughs> she, oh, she didn't cut any slack at all. No, she was, you know, said, don't look at your hands, you know. She'd whack your fingers. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to have your dad build the board so you can't see, can't see the keyboard, you know. Uh, but uh, I, was, I was lazy. I, I didn't practice. I can relate to that. I mean, it, it, and I don't think even much changed. I mean, you're, you're presumably talking uh, what, mid to late 50s here. You know? Mid 50s. And I, I remember yeah. when I had piano lessons, and then we're talking late 70s, early 80s. I don't think much, you know, it was very strict, you know, and I, nobody yeah. ever went, What music do you like? Let's try, you know, it was always, Here's yeah. some music that you almost certainly don't like. Yeah. <laughs> Let's play that. Hard, isn't it, to try and keep yeah. that. Uh, interest going but I, I was I'm so glad that I did it you mm. know at least I had a, a somewhat basic uh, grasp of, 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 of music from that you know but um, uh, then eventually uh, I, I think the the second teacher said to my parents well he's you know he's not really making much progress here he's <laughs> not practicing you know yeah and we, you know we had the typical English front room that was never used where the piano was best, yeah. and it was cold too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and the, you know the next lesson would come along and uh, i it was obvious i hadn't you know worked at this piece i was supposed to be doing and she you, you know, didn't she you were never going to be the next jerry lee lewis thing or anything like that or well no we right, wanted I, to be uh yeah i, I guess I'd, i i heard jerry lee lewis a, a little later on i guess and uh, a friend of mine Kind of figured out some of that, some of the runs that he was doing, and I thought, "Ah, oh, yeah, that's how he does that." So, uh, even though I stopped having the lessons, I'd still play away on the yeah. piano. And then we discovered skiffle. I was school, I was still at school then, and uh, we did some couple of friends. And I decided we wanted a skiffle group. One of the guys had a school cello. I love it. And I and I was playing piano. So a proper cello. He didn't just have the broom handle with the oh, bit no, string into a, a box. Cello. A proper, he was oh, taking awesome. cello lessons, you know. Awesome. But, uh, um, but no, he never made a career as a musician. He uh, ended up owning, owning a, gar a garage. Sen sensible man. <laughs> yeah. Sensible man. And he's now retired. <laughs> yeah. Very, very I, well off. Which yeah. I can't afford to do, yeah. <laughs> so... Um, but guitar-wise, so where where did this uh, was it? You know? Well, a school friend um, had a a guitar. Actually, it wasn't his; it was his brother's guitar. He'd come, his brother had come back from the navy with this cheap old arch top, mm -hmm. and uh, I think I was looking at some piano music. Um, in you know, I picked up the piano stool, looking through the music in there, and I said, I, I told my my, my mate who lived about four doors away, I said, look, I had piano music here, but it's got chords written ab above it, you know, the... Uh, 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 little, the dots type on the, yeah, on the, the, on little, the, on the tap, like on the string yeah, charts, yeah. Yeah, but what I didn't realise was at the time they were, they were ukulele, <laughs> they were ukulele <laughs> chords, but at least it was a start, you know. Yep. I said, look what I found. He said, oh, I've got a book here, you know, with guitar chords in it. And I thought, oh... So we both started at the same time, and uh, and I was borrowing this guitar until his mother would send him round. You know, go get that guitar off of him. You know, <laughs> he's had it long enough. 
And uh, I actually played guitar for about 18 months without actually owning one. Mm -hmm. I, I think I borrowed three different guitars, excuse me. Uh, and uh, they weren't good guitars, but uh, you know, they, uh, I got the uh, I got the gist of it. Was that was that just because your dad had said, look, you didn't see it through on the piano, so I'm not buying you a guitar, or was it just because you just couldn't get guitars? You know, oh not, not no, they were uh, available, you know. I, I guess you know. I think um, they uh, the first guitar they bought for me. I don't know where we'd found it, but it was a Spanish guitar, and I think they paid like three pounds, ten yeah. shillings for it, you know. Yeah. And I immediately put steel strings on it, which you're not supposed to do. <laughs> you you didn't break it, did you? With the no, steel. No, oh, okay. No. Oh no. I was thinking that'd no, be heartbreaking, no, wouldn't it? it? Worked. No. Um, and it worked, you know. But I only played that for a, a month or so, and it was obvious to my parents that that I was uh, making some progress with yep. this, and I was really keen to do it. So it was Christmas of '58. I just turned 15. I'd been slung out of the school where I was. I was in grammar school, but I wasn't really working hard enough to stay there either. So they. They said, oh, you're not doing very well here, are you, Lee? I think you better go. And as someone reminded me a long time ago, actually, I, I took a guitar to school, and it wasn't mine. I, I took it to school, and the, the vice master saw me with it. He said, oh, you won't get very far with that, Lee, you know. <laughs> You're pretty disparaging, <laughs> discouraging stuff, isn't it? Get but your hair cut. Yeah, mm. so uh, anyway, they, I got slung out of there at 15, but that, that Christmas... My folks pulled their Christmas money that they, you know, been putting money in every yeah. week for in a Christmas club, and and uh, found a, a Hofner president in the Exchange of Mark. Fantastic! And it was uh, I don't know about twenty five pounds, twenty three pounds or something. Did know. it look, one of um, where's oh do you know you can't I don't think you can see it, but I no. got a Hofner. Well, there's one right That's, there. Is that a senator? Like, that sunburst one. Could you pass me that one over? Would you? Did, it was, it was a little bit like that. Yeah, I think they, they all had a um, similar vibe, didn't they? This is yeah. fun, because th this is, this is yeah. I mean, you definitely, definitely won't, you probably won't get a tune out of this, because I think I've, yeah. I've slackened all the strings off, because it, the neck, oh, maybe oh, not. Yeah. 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 There we go. Anyway, I've got, I've, <laughs> we went to this guy's house in Plumstead, I think it was, you know, and, uh, pulled out the guitar and uh, handed it to me and uh, I'd learned to play guitar boogie at that time. And they're all going, whoa, wow. <laughs> we didn't know that guitar could do that. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I got that for Christmas. And um, yeah, I, 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 um, and that, that was the first guitar that was actually playable. That, yeah. You know. Well, I think in this country, Hofner was, you, you know, it was, it was so tough to be able to find Gibsons and Fenders and so astronomically expensive. Uh, and Hofner, I think, was the main sort of European brand that was a sort of an okay well, alternative, right, yeah. wasn't well, it? Well, there was an import embargo really? from the States, yeah. I didn't know. Oh, yeah. So you just couldn't so, get that stuff? No, it was, they were regarded as luxury goods and uh, we, we couldn't get them until 1960. Right. Six, yeah. I guess that's why you see so few... Yeah, you see all the black and whites yeah. that you see of the, of, the, of the old English bands, none of them are playing, or very, very few are playing. Unless they'd made it really big, none of them yeah. were playing Fenders or, the, or, or they, you know, went over to the States yeah. and brought one back, you yeah. know. I remember the, 
there was a guy called Malcolm Mitchell. He had a, a trio, a little kind of jazz trio, and you'd see him on TV. And I remember seeing a picture of him with a, a Telecaster. And this was in the 50s. So he must yeah. have go, gone to the States, you know, yeah. been, maybe gone over, played on a ship or whatever, you know, and came back with this Telecaster. Um, but no, this is, all, this is the best we could find at the time. And there were ma uh, British manufacturers too, like uh, Grimshaw, right. were making pretty mm -hmm. nice guitars, like a, a double cutaway that they, I forget what it was called, the model, but it was a bit like a 330 or, yeah. or whatever, you know. But uh, no, it wasn't until 1960. So I, um, by 59, we, ha we had, a, had a little group, uh, you know, it started off as a skiffle group, and then um, I was up, at, I used to go to the West End and look in the music shops up there. And of course I went to, I used to go to Len Styles in Lewisham, that right. was a local place, you know, and you'd see a, a Hofner Club 60 hanging in the window. <laughs> I'm trying to remember, did you, did you ever used to venture, there was a, the only reason I asked this, and I'm trying to remember what it was, my dad, uh, before he and my granddad started Anderton's, worked in a little music shop on the Fulham Road, and I can't remember what, but it would have been absolutely that, like 1960, 62, something like that, it would have been, yeah. and I'm trying to remember what the guy's name was, I want to say it was Harry something, but I'm wondering mm. whether I'm getting confused, because that was my granddad's name as well, but... Uh, yeah. He's probably sitting at home watching this, shouting the name of the music shop at the, at the, at the telly. But, but yeah, I mean, completely different vibe now to, you know, yeah. you go walk into a music shop now and see 500 guitars oh, on display. God, yeah. It was like... So uh, I was in Charing Cross Road and um, there was Jennings who sold Vox yeah. amps, you know, and, and accordions, of course. You know. And uh, they had this guitar in the window and I'm like, my eyes popped out. And it was... It, it was a little bit like this, really. It was a three pickup, and he had a tremolo. And uh, I thought, God, it's just, it looks just like the guitar that Buddy Holly played, you know. Of course, the, the Chirping Crickets record. If you if you ever see one, uh, look at look look for it. The headstock is not avail is not visible in the right. in the photograph on the cover, so you can't see all the tuners on one side, you know. So I saw this guitar and I thought, well, it looks a little bit like that guitar that Buddy played. I didn't know what a Fender was. So I talked my dad into letting me trade the Hofner in for this, this guitar. It was a Grazioso. Okay. Which is uh, Italian, isn't it? I think we're... No, they were Czechoslovakian. Oh, okay. <laughs> of course yeah. they were. That, no, that well-known Czechoslovakian family name. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, uh, I think maybe the electronics were, were Italian because it... Um, God, I forget the name of the pickups now, but it, um, they ev it eventually became the Futurama. Ah, OK. Yeah. yeah, but it was the earlier version of that, and it had a, ma a maple neck. Yeah. You know, the Futuramas had a, a rosewood or a darker wood, whatever it was, you know. Uh, so I persuaded my dad to let me get this guitar. It was £85 second hand. Whoa. Which is, you know, when I think back on it, I mean, the guy must have... You know, made a fortune on it. He paid. Yeah. He must have paid nothing for it. But everybody put that, that into was context. You're, you're 85 pounds, 1960. So you are literally talking six weeks money. 
If you, what would you be? What, what have you been earning that time? If you oh, were I was, 20, uh, by that time week? I just started work and I was getting about three pounds a week. Oh, three pounds three a week. Three, four pounds a week. So yeah. eighty-five pounds. You're literally talking about three months worth of money almost. Yeah. Yeah, I was doing. So put that in context now. That's like that's, that. That'll be the dearest, <laughs> dearest guitar in Anderton's, is the equivalent of what that second-hand. Yeah. yeah, he saw um, you coming, didn't he? Definitely. <laughs> well, he'd, he'd sold a number of them because uh, George Harrison had one. Oh, okay. And, Maybe uh, they're good. They were okay. Looking back on it, and um, Tony Sheridan, who was yeah. a big guy, and he, you know, he played one on TV, and. Uh, Anyway, I soon realised that uh, it wasn't the Fender that I, that I thought it was, you know. <laughs> and it was like the following year, um, I, I did a, my first tour in 1960, January of 1960. Um, the, the bass player and I had a, a well, the band had a, a Selma True Voice 19T. It was yeah. with a 12 inch speaker, had three inputs. So you all plugged into that? We all plugged into that, you know. But then we uh, eventually became a trio. So the bass player, uh, he started off with a double bass actually, and we talked him into buying this double bass. And then uh, we'd heard about these electric basses, and we, I guess we, we didn't see too many of them around, you know. And he found this um, Hofner violin bass. You know, it's before McCartney mm -hmm. had one. And um, so he had that, and I had my Grazioso. We plugged into the same amp, and off we went to Scotland working with a, one of Larry Palm's uh, singers called Dickie Pride. Right. Did a tour with him and uh, playing to all these 12 year old girls, screaming girls in the dance halls up there. I came back with, from that tour with about 20 pounds, I think. And, um, you know, we went up on street, steam train. That's it, how long ago it was. Uh, came back and I thought, oh, I've got to get an amp. We're going to find an amp. And I went into Selma's and uh, the salesman in there, he said, oh, you, we're getting some American amps in. So he showed me this catalogue and it was a Supro catalogue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've had some Supros Yeah, there's one over there yeah. and the amp I... I chose out of the catalogue without even trying it. I said, American, it's got to be good. Yeah. You know, so I, I chose this amp and it was about £65 yeah, or something. Expensive again. And eventually it arrived, you know, I thought, wow, I had a 15-inch Jensen, you know. And uh, I thought, well, that, that's great. You know, I've got, I've got a guitar that sounds okay. I've got a really good amp. And the band at that time had decided that uh, we, we needed an echo unit. Because a lot of the bands had echo units, yep. you know, either Binson's and we had a, a Klempt Echolette. I don't even ever even heard of that. Ta ta a tape ta echo, ta tape echo, yep. yeah. And uh, I, my dad signed the papers for that. My <laughs> long-suffering dad, and uh, so we we had that for a while, and uh, so I had, a, I had a pretty pretty good sound, you know. Uh, and I guess it was a few months later, later in in 60, maybe early 61, when you'd go, you'd go into Selma's and they, there was a whole wall of Gibson guitars from the Super 400 on mm -hmm. down, you know. And uh, I thought, oh, that, <laughs> uh, it, this is it, you know, we've got these American guitars. And just down the road, Jennings has started to get uh, strats and, and tellies, you know.
Amazing. And the, the Telecaster was like 120 pounds or something, and I paid 85 pounds for this piece of crap. You know? <laughs> in comparison, who but, who was influencing you at the time? Because you you know you, you've obviously you know you're now touring and doing the the, the, the little trio band. You know, are you listening to, to to sort of lots of American bands on pirate radio, or you know, how are you? Oh, I was developing uh, your own just, um, thing. Well, the the uh, the rare occasion you'd get some rock and roll on on the BBC, mm-hmm. um, but it was records. You know, people would pass them around, and I didn't have a record player at the beginning. But you know, it took me a while to get get a get a turntable. Uh, but um, Buddy Holly, I guess, and you know, after Lonnie, you know, playing the, mm. the, the skiffle and the excitement of all that st- stuff that he yes, used to do. So, yeah, I was exposed to a lot of great rock and roll all, all at one time, you know, like uh, Chuck Berry and uh, Gene Vincent. Yeah. And uh, someone gave me Gene Vincent's first album, Gene Vincent and the Blue Caps, and the guitar player just uh, mesmerised me, just blew me away, Cliff Gallup. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I listened to what he what he did, even now he listened to it, and it's really good stuff and tasteful, mm. you know. And so I learned, he did two albums with, with Gene. He, let, he, did, he didn't tour very, he, he wanted to stay home, he didn't tour very much, you know, and I think he had his 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 uh, guitar stolen while he was on the road, so that <laughs> probably made him want to stay home. <laughs> so his, his touring is not as good as... A, I think I'll stay and get a day job, you know. But he played on the first two albums, and I learned every solo, note for note, as did Jeff Beck, of course. You yeah. know, Jeff was. It's at around the same time we were we were learning all these Cliff Gallup solos, you know. And I was le- learning, um, you know, Buddy Holly stuff, and of course Scotty Moore. I was about to say, is it yeah. must have been like early Elvis stuff as well, then? Yeah, yeah. I, lo- I love the Elvis stuff, yeah. of course, and. Um, when it came time to choose a, a, an American guitar, for some reason I had my mind set on a, an ES-175. Okay. I thought, yeah, I'll get, I think I could afford that. <laughs> I forget my folks to sign, it, <laughs> sign, sign up again. So, yeah, it was a, an ES-175 and I decided I wanted a Bigsby on it. You know, because Cliff yeah, Gallup yeah. was using the big Bigsby. Very tasteful, too, the way he used it, you know. No dive bombs, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, a friend of mine just started to play guitar. He said, oh, "I'm going to go. I'm going to buy a guitar." And he said, "I've been looking at the Burns guitars. I think they just started to make Burns mm-hmm. in, in the early '60s." I said, "Oh no, don't don't bother with that." <laughs> I said, <laughs> "They've got Gibsons up in Selmers now. You know, let's go up there. You know." So I talked him into buying a Les Paul Junior, which is uh, that was. I know that was about six seventy pounds or something, mm-hmm. you know, and it was a great guitar. And of course, yeah. I immediately borrowed it. We used to do gigs together, and he'd let me play so it. So, did, did you never get your one seven five, or you? I had, never did. You never no. did get the one seven five. No, I'll get to that. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, so uh, we do these little gigs. We play little, little clubs around uh, Blackheath and Lee Green and you know, in Greenwich, and uh, boy, the, the sound I had, you know, with this. Uh, Les Paul Jr. and I still had the tape echo and the Supro. I was, I was just getting this great Scotty Moore sound, yeah. and I was getting a, 
a handle on on the solos too. I was playing pretty good solos by then, you know. And uh, I thought, no, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to get a, I've got to get my my uh, one seven five, you know. And uh, anyway, I'd make a little pilgrimage up to up to um, Selma's on Saturday on the train from Blackheath. And uh, I was in there one day and, uh, you know, trying out the guitars and then, yeah, maybe this would be the one I'll buy, you know. And this guy heard me playing. He said, oh, sounds good. He said, are you in a band? I said, well, kind of, yeah. He said, we're looking for a guitar player. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said, yeah, you don't need a guitar. We've got a guitar already, you know. I said, oh, sounds interesting, you know. So he said, come over to my place, you know. So we went over to, to his flat. He opened up this guitar case and there's a brand new Les Paul Custom with a Bigsby on it. And I said, I'll join yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, sign me up. <laughs> so, so that, and uh, yeah, so um, he said, wow, well, uh, okay, well, we'll have a rehearsal t uh, tomorrow. This was a Saturday. He said, uh, uh, he said, we'll have a re rehearsal that Sunday morning, you know, if you, you know, if you want to come up to town and we'll have a little rehearsal. And uh, I actually talked him into letting me take the guitar home, <laughs> which <laughs> he may yeah. never have seen me again. Exactly. You know? So I went home with this guitar. I was just so excited, you know. I thought, boy, look at this. I, got, I don't believe it, you know. So uh, I did show up for the rehearsal. Well, I was with that band for 18 months, two years maybe. And uh, it was a strange situation with the, with the band because they... They, the gigs we did, they pull the money to to pay off the instruments, right. you know. So we'd end, earn no money playing, <laughs> you know, but we'd be paying off the higher purchase on on the instruments. And uh, my dad didn't think that was a very good idea. So my dad had a word with him. He said, "Well, look, why don't you well, well, let him? We'll take over the payments on the guitar, you know." Which I did, I, you know. So I carried on paying paying that. Uh, the, the payments on the Les Paul and I, God, I just loved it. So um, the, the the nucleus of that band is that Pat Donaldson was on bass and, uh, um, God, I can't remember the name of the drummer now. I am embarrassed. But anyway, we used to, we became, when we weren't doing gigs at the weekend, we became the house band at the Two Eyes Coffee Bar in Old Compton Street. <laughs> which is where all the musicians used to come down there oh, and sit handy. in, you know. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, there were three of us, and none of us could sing. I didn't sing then, you know. I was, I was very reluctant to, mm -hmm. to learn to try singing. But you know, there'd always be somebody there who'd jump up and sing an Elvis song or whatever, you know. And uh, and Jimmy Page used to come down there. He was working <laughs> with, uh, I think he was with Neil Christian at the time, and I think he had a Gretsch. At that time, this would have been '61, and uh, he liked my my Les Paul and my Supro so much that he eventually bought. Of course, because well, he was very famous for using Supros, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. I was. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he liked my Supro a lot, so he went and bought one. And I guess he, I guess he couldn't get one like mine. But I, I don't think they, I don't, I didn't see them in Selma's on a regular basis. Right. I think they just got a delivery mm -hmm. uh, and left it at that, you know, and I got probably the biggest one, you know, mm. it's probably like 35, 40 watts with a 15 inch speaker, you know. 
So uh, he eventually bought one. I think he, someone told me last night, actually, he bought a, a 210, which he eventually put a 12 in. Right. I, I, I'm not a big... Are you, I always... My image of Jimmy Page is always standing in front of lots of Marshall amplifiers, oh, yeah. and you know. But, but apparently, it is a lot. All that early stuff, studio stuff, it's all I Supros I, and Telecasters or something. Yeah, isn't it? So, apparently so. Yeah. So uh, yeah, so he he had a, a Les Paul like mine, which uh, um, sad for him. He, he that was stolen. He lost it uh, sometime after that, and he used to use it on the sessions when he started doing sessions in in London in the sixties. So we were the we were the house band at the Two Eyes, and people, you know, lots of people would come down there, and um, uh, got hooked up with a sax player who uh, had an idea for a band, and uh, we played a couple of gigs in the West End, and then uh, around that time the Germans started coming over, you know, the the guys who uh, owned the, you know, the. I, I think the, yeah, the Star Club had already mm. started by then, but the top ten. Mm. So uh, off we went to Hamburg, drove drove to Hamburg, and played at the top ten club. You know, there was a lot of British bands cut their teeth on that circuit. Oh yeah, I they? couldn't believe it. You yeah. know, being in this little area, you know, sort of red light district of, uh, you know, it's pretty exciting for a seventeen-year-old <laughs> in the red light district of Hamburg, and there were lots of bands there. You know, lots. Uh, lots of Liverpool guys there. You yeah, know? it was around the time the Beatles were in and out of town, but I didn't see them when, yeah. uh, when I was there. But my hero, who later became my hero, uh, was uh, Tony Sheridan. Right, and uh, he was playing there. You know, some of these names that you're. And we'll come on to uh, a, a bit about the how much of a fan my father-in-law was of, of your music. Um, but he, when we used to talk about guitar stuff, he was in bands and had a, uh, obviously never made it as successful as you did, but lots of stories about uh, the bands that he was in and doing the Hamburg sort of circuit, mm. and um, but all the same era. And so lots yeah. of the names that you're coming out with, although I'm not massively familiar with them myself, they're all yeah. names that, are, that oh, he yeah. used well, to Tony talk Sheridan about. Tony was the guy, you know, and mm. the Beatles used to back him. Right. In, at the Star Club, you know, and they did the... They played on a couple of records of his. <laughs> so uh, not long after that, I started to... Well, actually, I was playing with a drummer, uh, Barry Jenkins, who later went on to play with uh, Nashville Teens and, uh, and, uh, and the Animals. But um, we were playing locally in, in, in South East London, and his dad was in show business. He was an extra. He was in. He was in a bunch of movies then, you know. And they they knew this agent, and uh, this agent got a call from Germany, from this band that uh, urgently needed a drummer and a guitar player. Okay. And they were going to fly us over. <laughs> I thought, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so we we jumped on it. It was our first flight. We jumped on this old Viscount, I think it was. Flew to Düsseldorf to be met by this German band, which was the last <laughs> thing we expected, you know? God, yeah, I mean, I, my jaw dropped. And I said, oh, yeah, Doug, great to have you. And they saw my Gibson, and they, oh, that, that they, uh, that they, they didn't like the look of that at all. Oh, we need to get you a Fender, you know, you don't, you know. Because around that, that time, there were lots of uh, playing around Germany and, uh, and Holland. There were a lot of Indonesian bands and they all played really yeah and they were all like uh playing kind of shadow stuff they had a, 
They had big Fender amps and, and Fender guitars, you know, wow. they leaf around. And uh, Andy Thielman was the guy. The Thielman brothers were the big band. Andy Thielman was a he was a pretty good guitar player. Right. Yeah. So they saw my Les Paul and they said, "Wow, well, you know, no, we've got to get you a real guitar, you know." So until I started to play it, I thought, "Ooh, that sounds good." <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, yeah, and I'd taken. Um, and that's right. They they had an amp there, and I, I was stuck with. Uh, well, let's see. I must have I must have taken my amp out to Germany. I must on have the flight as well. I must have taken it. On it's the a wonder plane. it worked when it got there. Well, it didn't work for long because <laughs> I, I was there. I was stuck there for three months with these guys. They were crazy, you know. They were, they, you know, but uh, I mean, the lead singer was especially crazy. But he he remained my my friend for you know for many many years, and sadly he passed away about four years ago. But um, yeah, he was nuts. And uh, he'd uh, he'd get all these all these instruments. He'd go to the music stores and he, he'd just uh, talk them into l letting him. You know, he'd, uh, he he just wouldn't pay for them. You know, <laughs> I think we got some customers like that. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Pete Sonori. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, actually, uh, going back to Selmers, I mean, that, the guys in Selmers were great. I'd go in there, and they they knew that I could play. And uh, I was desperate for for a better amp at that time, and they said, "Oh, we've got these Gibson amps here and that." And um, yeah, there was one called a called a four hundred, I think it was two twelve, you know. And they said, "Well, take it out and do, try it on a gig," you know. They used to do that a yeah. lot back then, you know. Yeah. So I remember taking it on a gig, and I said, "Yeah, it's all right, but it's not quite right," you know. And it wasn't until I tried a Fender amp that I realised, "Oh, that's that's what I want. I want that." That twang, you know. Yeah. So anyway, I went. I, I'd forgotten that I had the Supra on that first visit to to Germany with the German band. So I, I remember we um, we finished up one night. We played six hours a night, seven mm. night, hour, hours a night, nine hours on a Sunday. We played from four till six, an hour off, and then we'd uh, we play for another six hours or so, you know. And then, no, you know, uh, I guess later on, you know, you play 45 minutes and 15 off. But back then, we we just kept playing straight through. And if you, you know, one one would want to run off to the toilet or whatever, you know, <laughs> you must have had some repertoire of, of oh well, of music. yeah, well we yeah we we, we, um, we it didn't matter so you, if you knew a, a verse or, or or two of a song. You know, and you make up the words, and they they couldn't understand the, the lyrics anyway back then. You know, not like they can now. So, uh, yeah. So uh, I remember I showed up at the gig one night, and someone had poured beer in my amp, and I can't, I couldn't imagine how it happened because it was hardly anybody there. You know, and I got there. I don't remember if I left my. I used to leave my guitar there sometimes, and not because it was a bit of a long walk up the hill to this these digs that we were in. So, um, uh, yeah, a beer was poured in my Supro, and it you know it, it kind of worked. And then they got got this guy to look at it, and oh god, you know, no, it wasn't working right. And uh, anyway, um, 
we decided that I had to get a, get a get another amp, you know. So he he obviously went to a music store and <laughs> did a char- deal, char- yeah. charmed a basement out of him, you know, a piggyback nice. basement. Yeah, I thought, oh, fantastic, you know. Anyway, I eventually managed the drummer and I managed to escape this band. You know, at the end of the month, we had enough money to get a train back to London, and he got a Ludwig snare and a couple of big cymbals, you know, and I had this. I don't know how I did it. I got on the train with this piggyback basement, cool. you know, and a suitcase and my Les Paul. So uh, I thought, boy, that was, a, you know, it took me three months to get away with these from these crazy guys, you know. And then uh, I guess it was not long after that, um, I, I joined uh, uh, Neil Christian and the Crusaders because Jimmy Page had left, he'd moved on to something else. Uh, so I was with Neil Christian for a, a, just a few weeks, really. And uh, he was paying me like 15 pounds a week, you know, no matter what we did, you know. And I thought, boy, that's handy, like, <laughs> a steady 15 pounds a week. This is great, you know. And, uh, and then who should show up from Germany but... Uh, the lead singer, oh, no, the, the, yeah, he showed up and he was all apologetic. He said, "Oh, I know." He said, "I said, oh, you know, and things are going to be different this time, you know." And uh, like a fool, I'd, I went back to Germany with him, <laughs> and um, I did. Actually, I don't know if I took the Les Paul or not. Maybe I didn't. I'm trying to remember now. Uh, anyway, he said, "Oh, well." Well, I'll, I'll get you a guitar, you know. So I got a nice, this would have been about 62 or 63, I got a nice red Stratocaster, nice. you know. And uh, anyway, um, at the end of this run, he decided to disappear. And fortunately, we had enough enough musicians to be able to carry on, you know. Back in those days, I don't know how the Beatles got away with it, but back in those days, you play a German club Outside of Hamburg, I suppose you could do it in Hamburg, but outside of a, outside of places like Hamburg, if you played in a club for six hours a night, you had to have a five-piece band. Right. Yeah, they, they didn't class you as a band unless you, there were five of you. And we, there were five of us when we started out at this place. And I remember we were up on stage one night and there was hardly anybody in the audience and in came the German military police and pulled one of the guys off stage because he, he, he was supposed oh, to be in the army. He was supposed to be in national service or something yeah, like that, was yeah. he? And he'd uh, gone pulled, AWOL. Pulled him off the stage. <laughs> and there we were, four-piece band, and uh, I think the owner of the, the little club, it was in Dortmund, he was happy to let us go because there were no customers no coming, coming anyway. anyway. You know? <laughs> so we were stuck there, and then we, that was when we... Uh, I guess I'm mixing the two tours with him, mixed it. But these are some of the tales yeah. that happened with the, with this guy. Anyway, I did go I did go back with him again, and then he, he had this uh, girlfriend who had a bit of money, and uh, he kind of lost interest in it, and he disappeared. Unfortunately, we we were able to finish out the gig that we did, because you you did gigs uh, in American bases, and you played yeah. for a month. You know, you sign on for a month. So, uh, yeah, I, ca- I managed to escape that and <laughs> got, back, got back to England. And uh, a friend of mine, Ricky Charman, was playing bass with Chris Farlow mm-hmm. and the Thunderbirds. Yeah. 
and uh, Ricky said, "Oh, uh, Bobby Taylor, the guitar player, he's he's he's, he's not going to play anymore. He's going to become an actor, you know, which he did eventually." So uh, I joined Chris Farlow. This was in '64. Yeah, and I stayed with him for about four years, and. Uh, he had some hits, didn't he? And, and yeah, well, uh, 65 or 66, he had out, out of Time, right. which is one of the few records of his I didn't play oh. on. <laughs> I think it was Big Jim Sullivan. This, uh, the reason for that Big was, Jim. Yeah. It, was um, uh, it was produced by uh, Mick Jagger. Really? Uh, yeah, because he wrote the song, you know. Okay. Mick, uh, it was Jagger Richard. So he produced it, and, uh, and that we did another one, My Way of Giving, too, which they they'd written, you know, and um, he produced it, but when it came to Out of Time, he wanted his arranger to book the band, mm -hmm. book his musicians, so uh, it was, his name was Arthur Greenslade, and uh, so that's how Big Jim Sullivan ended up on... He was on almost everything anyway, though, wasn't he, at that time? Him yeah, and, well, yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's a... I met him, I'm sure you knew him reasonably well, but... You know, he used to do clinics for a, a guitar brand called Patrick Eggle, you know, oh, all I know. through I his those guitars, 60s yeah. or 50s and 60s, whatever yeah. like that. He was a real larger-than-life character, wasn't he? Some, yeah. some oh, yeah. player as well. I remember he asked me once about Patrick Eggle, and he said, ah, oh, he's a great guitars, and they're British, the British guitars. You know, you should try one. Mm. You, should, you know, and I said, well, I'm, I'm really happy we want to, you know, and he couldn't believe that I didn't want to play this English guitar, <laughs> you know. I said, I'm really happy with what I've got now. By that time, I had a, I had a, my first Telecaster. I bought, that, I used Telecaster in 1963, I think, and I, that my whole world changed. Well, now. you kind of your uh, your Wikipedia blog says that you know you for a period of time you were just called Mr. Telecaster. You know, I mean, it's almost like Larry Carlton, Mr. 335, ah, and you were yeah, sort of Mr. Telecaster. Yeah, I don't know what I have. Well, well I, I guess for a while, I mean, I was I was playing a telly. Uh, with uh, Emily Harris later on, you mm. know, and uh, and uh, that not many people were playing tellies in England at that mm. time, you know. They were all influenced by the Shadows yeah. and all the other, you know, the Hollies and that. They're all playing Gibsons and 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 or, or a all lot of Strats, strats yeah. a lot mm. of Strats, and because maybe because Bruce Welsh was playing a Telecaster with the Shadows, right? And people regarded them as uh, as rhythm guitars, you know, mm. which they certainly weren't, no. you know. I'm still, I'm still super intrigued to see where the country angle has uh, kind of came from, because it, 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 I mean, it well, just... I, I, I loved it, it was the first time I heard it. Because um, this must have been at some point round about the sort of the mid-60s then that you kind of, that, Started oh, well, to influence. It, it, it happened long before that because okay. uh, I, you know I was buying music. I guess I, I loved the rock and roll that was mm. country influenced. You know, I liked the Everly Brothers, and because I knew these guys had started out with a country background. You mm -hmm. know, as did Buddy Holly. You know, and uh, so um, where was I? Oh yeah, someone gave me an album. It was a, Ca a Capital album, American Capital. It was a compilation of country hits, mm -hmm. and it was released in like 1959. And I, I loved nearly everything on it. I thought, well, I, did, I, love, I love this music. It's great, you know. There wasn't a lot of guitar playing on it. it was very did, sort of fiddles and all yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I love the, I love the feel of the music, you know. 
Um, so uh, I, I, I think one of the first EPs I bought was a Grandpa Jones <laughs> banjo. <laughs> and it was great. I thought, God, this is great. I love this. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and, uh, but I was buying rock and roll. I was buying more rock and roll at that time. And I guess, uh, you know, uh, when I was in Hamburg, I picked up a, a record which really changed my life. And I remember I was in the store with Tony Sheridan. I was looking through records and there was this uh, Mercury EP and it had two tracks by um, Flat and Scruggs and two tracks by George Jones. Right. And I took a chance on it. And, uh, well, I mean, it's still one of my favourite records now, this... Uh, one of the tracks of George Jones. I thought, oh, God, I just love this stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, I continued to play rock and roll. And, of course, we were playing a bit of blues with Farlow. Mm -hmm. And then I discovered Buck Owens. Right. You know, and I, I started to buy his records, you know. And uh, and I, and he, he had a great guitar player, Don Rich. Okay. You know, they, and they were all playing telecasters. And it was that real twangy, you know, uh, James Burton yeah. style, you know. And... Uh, and I think early 60s, another point in my life that really turned my head around, uh, well, you remember Saturday Club, uh, Brian Matthew. Well, I mean, this was going in the early early 60s. It started out as Guitar Club on a Saturday morning, right. and then it became Saturday Club, and Brian Matthew was uh, the host on that. And for a short while, they had a, what they called a country corner, where they'd play a couple of country records. And this particular Saturday, they played a record by Speedy West and Jimmy Bryant. Okay. Yeah, I know called, the Jimmy Bryant name. I'm not yeah. familiar with Speedy well, West. Speedy West was just an absolutely wild steel guitar right. player. And they they played on tons of records in the early 50s for Capitol. They did a lot of stuff for Capitol with Tennessee, Ernie Ford and whatever. And they were just wild instrumentals that they used to do. And I thought, God, I love this guitar player, you know, and he... Uh, the, this one track they played on the, on the radio it was Arkansas Traveler, which was a fiddle tune. And I thought, I never heard anybody play the guitar like that, you know. And that was early '60s, and it it took me uh, seven or eight years before I actually got a copy of the record. Right. And a friend of mine, he said, "Look what I got! I've got this ten-inch <laughs> Capital LP of Speedy West and Jimmy Bryant." And he gave it to me, and I rushed home and put it on, hoping it was as good as I remembered it. And I just, wow, this is what I call guitar playing. So that kind of started it. And, of course, I love James Burton. So that's when, you know, I realised that, you know, Telecaster was a guitar yeah. for me. You know, and I'd been through a few guitars at that time. You know, I bought... Uh, I reluctantly sold my uh, Les Paul okay. to buy... A Super 400 that my friend had, you know, I thought, wow, top of the line Gibson, it's, you know, and they, they were like uh, yeah, 300 pounds yeah. new, you know, back then. And uh, I know I played that for a while with Farlow and I thought, I realised I'd made a big mistake, you know, <laughs> and I regretted selling my, uh, my Les Paul. And this guy already had one, so he must have just turned it around and sold it, sold it on. And eventually, uh, and he still has it, um, Eric Stewart, the Mindbenders. Okay. Yeah, 10cc. Right. He, he's still got it. 
That original one? Yeah. Amazing. Well, it's not original anymore. <laughs> God, he, he carved it up. I saw, I did a BBC broadcast once and, and I, there was a guitar case on the floor and I, I looked at it and there was like a dent in the top of it. I, I remember that dent. It was in a car <laughs> crash that we were in, you know. Everybody had a car crash in those days, you know, we were all like in our teens. No, we did, you know. This is the essential part. If yeah, you hadn't had a car crash, you yeah, weren't. Yeah, everybody was in a car crash. Every band I was with had a car crash up until the mid-60s. That's what, that's what playing until five in the morning probably does to you, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, sort of... and we're all young, you know, and inexperienced. So, uh, yeah, I opened up the case. I thought, that's my guitar. Wow, and I picked it up, and I looked at the back of it, and there was a big chunk taken out the back of it because it was too heavy he'd, cu he'd cut a big chunk really? out of the back of it to lighten it i guess yeah anyway oh it, well he's still got it and he's it's now a two pickup and it's now kind of a blonde or whatever and he's a, it's it's his favorite guitar he still plays it you know well at least it's been played that's yeah. the main, main so thing, anyway that that disappeared and i regretted that for a long time <laughs> And uh, I'll jump forward a little bit. When I, I joined Clapton in 79. Yeah. The first rehearsal we had, he showed up. You know, he'd already had breakfast, you know. And I, <laughs> brandy and lemonade. <laughs> uh, he'd already had, had his breakfast, you know. And uh, I, was, I was showing him... I'd, I had a picture of my guitar. I said, oh, I, I used to have a Les Paul. God, I love this guitar, really. I really, you know, regret selling it, you know. He said, oh, I've got one of those. I'd, I'd, be, I'd used to play one of those, you know. I didn't think any more of it. The next day, his roadie came in with this case, opened it up, and it's his Les Paul Custom that he used with Cream yeah. and uh, Delaney and Bonnie. And he gave it to me. He said, oh, yeah, well, you, you use it, you know. <laughs> so I don't regret, please, I don't please tell regret me you, selling my guitar. Yeah, please tell me you kept that one. Hmm? Please tell me you kept oh, that one. Oh, of course, yeah. Good man. Oh, yeah, no, no, I've got it. That'd be pretty no. special. Oh, well, yeah. When did, did you at some point feel that in order to, to pursue the, the, the country thing, you were just going to have to go to the States? Or did, you know, because I can't imagine many other people in, the, in England at the time were sort of, you know, digging that kind of music. Well, no, there were very few, yeah. No, I mean, all this started for me when I first met the Everly Brothers. 1962, I met Phil. In fact, I was playing in a club with the with the band that I went to Hamburg with, you know, with the saxophone guy and whatever. And these guys were standing, you know, by the wall in the club, eyeing us up, you know. After, you know, I thought, well, they're taking a, a lot more interest than yeah. what these other kids in the club <laughs> are, are paying, you know. And we got to chatting, they were American, you know. I said, oh, yeah, we, we play too. And he said, uh, we're, um, you know, we're on tour over here. I said, oh, who are you with? And they said, well, be quiet, but we're with the Everly Brothers, and I go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, the guitar player is named Don Peake, and uh, he um, uh, he's still a, a very good friend of mine now, you know. And uh, he, we'd sit down in his hotel room playing guitar and and whatever, and he'd tell me about all the great guys in L.A. and he really talked me into wanting to be in L.A. You know, because yeah. they. Uh, all the music I loved was was coming from California. I loved the, the Nashville stuff, you know, but I loved the rock and roll too that was coming out of California. 
and he's telling me about guys like Howard Roberts, and mm -hmm. he was getting lessons from Howard Roberts. You know, he's oh, a great guy. He does all the sessions, and, and there's this young guy who does uh, a lot of the rock and roll stuff. His name's Glenn Campbell. No, I didn't. I never heard of Glenn Campbell. He said, "Oh yeah, he played played on this and that." And I thought, because oh. I used to com confuse him with uh, James Burton, because I'd hear a a real wiry telecaster yeah. all these bends. And I always assumed it was James Burton, but a lot of it was right. was Glenn, you know. So uh, I, 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 I really wanted to be in L.A., and I, I had no idea how I was going to get there. And then, of course, throughout the, the, the 60s British invasion, everybody was going over there, you know. And I thought, why can't I get in the band that's going <laughs> over there? You know? And uh, eventually that happened. Uh, oh, well, I left, I left Farlow because I, I wanted to give country a try. I knew some country players who were playing the fullest circuit in London. You know, there were a number of pubs that featured country bands. And right. I, just, I just happened to go one night to this pub, and, uh, and then I started going there regularly once a week, and, and Chaz and Dave would go there <laughs> too, you know. And uh, this is before they started doing their, their rock me stuff, you know. Yeah. Uh, so we'd sit in with this band, you know. And uh, anyway, the guitar player, Jerry Hogan, uh, decided that he was going to pack it in and not play so much. He was, gonna, he was working at, um, at IBM. He had a real mm -hmm. job, you know. So the singer, uh, John Derrick, and I decided that we'd put a little band together. I hadn't realised your association with Jerry Hogan had gone back so far. I thought oh, that was yeah. more of a... Yeah. Oh, no, I first met him in... Okay. Uh... Yeah, 67 maybe, oh, 66, cool. 67. Cool. So, um, But his yeah. quitting that band has gave you the opportunity yeah. to join it and, and that was the one that went to the States, was it? Oh, no, no. Oh, okay. we, we started working the circuit and playing US bases and we back various American country mm -hmm. singers that came over, you know. Not top-line guys, you know, but, well, they were a mixture, really, mm -hmm. you know. A bit of a mixture. We even played with Guy Mitchell. I don't know if mm -hmm. you remember Guy Mitchell. It's not, not one. No. no. Uh, but uh, Hank Lachlan and Lonzo and Oscar, you know. I mean, these were all names in Nashville. Yeah. You know? So, uh, and they'd all say, wow, you guys are great, you know. And they'd always say, I don't know how many, I wish I had a dollar for every time an American said this to me <laughs> back then. Yeah. God, you guys are great. You should come to the States. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, it was, uh, I quit the country band because I realised that uh, I wasn't going to get very far playing country yeah. music in England at that time. And we, there were actual country clubs and we go and play there and the, and the people there didn't like what we were doing. Because uh, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd do modern, a couple of Elvis right. things, you know, I'd do That's All Right Mama or mm. whatever, you know. All they wanted was Jim Reeves and yeah. Johnny Cash. Yeah. So I thought, well, no, this is... This is not what I want to do because around that's, that time... That's more the Western bit of country and Western, yeah, isn't it? You were more around, <laughs> yeah, it was around that time that uh, the Burrito Brothers started up. You know, that's a great name for a band. The Flying Burrito Brothers and, uh, <laughs> you know, and the Dillards. And there were a lot of great records coming out of the States. With It was country, but it was with the rock and roll yeah. edge to it, you know. Uh, and I thought, God, this is the kind of music I love, you know. So uh, around that time, uh, let's see, I, I quit the country band and I actually did a, 
a few weeks with Sandy Denny. She it was her first solo mm -hmm. uh, part part of her career. You know, she's going to form form a band, and uh, uh, I realised that now maybe this isn't for me really. I, I, I should be doing something else. Uh, so uh, Jerry Donahue took over for me in that band, and mm -hmm. they, be, they became Fotheringay, you know, and then, right. then she did an album and toured, whatever. And then uh, I did a short spell with uh, recording with uh, Steve Gibbons, who's still around, great guy, great singer. And then the friends of mine, <clears throat> um, one of whom uh, worked as a, a salesman in Lou Davis and, and Selma's, you know, he was the guy who sold me my Telecaster. You know, they, they decided to put a band together. They were, you know, really good songwriters. They'd written a bunch of stuff, you know. So we had a band for, a, did a few gigs under the name of Poet and the One Man Band. And uh, I think I went off and did a few other things around that time too. But um, then eventually they came back to me and said, hey, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna get, give it another try and see if we can get a, be a band. Cause on, with Poet and the One Man Band, it was, it was their deal, you know, they, they were mm. the songwriters and he was the singer, Tony was the singer. And we were just session guys on that, you know. But they said, right, we're going to put actually put a band together. So we we rehearsed, you know. We went, got it together in the country, you know. Went down to Wales, like yeah. a lot of bands did back then, you know. And uh, and we did a, a number of showcases. And uh, we had Armand Ertigan and uh, Artie Mogul fighting over us, you know, Atlantic <laughs> and Capital, you know, and probably uh, Country Boy. Yeah. Had a, a you know helped sway sway the matter too because yeah. it's a big guitar feature and it was, guitar was the big deal then you know yeah. English guitar players so we signed with Capital and first thing we you know we did the album then we went off to California and I thought oh this, this is, is great dreams yeah. coming through now. here I am playing at the Troubadour Phil Everly came out to see us and Neil Diamond and uh, Jim Horn the sax player and uh, you know, lots of great musicians, you know, come out to see us and we, people clapping my guitar solos. I've never <laughs> experienced that in England. Really? No. Oh, okay. No, I remember they used to clap Eric Clapton, but not, <laughs> not when I was down the Flamingo, hiding at the back with my little glasses on, I didn't get applause for my solos, but I just love playing for the Americans, you know, so oh, this is great. So I was back and forth quite a bit and, uh, the band, um, uh, Chaz, Chaz Hodges was in that band and we both decided we didn't like the way the, the band was going and uh, um, so we both quit at the same time. Mm -hmm. This was the end of 72 and uh, we were going to put a band together. It was going to be like, it, it could have been like Chaz, Dave and Albert. <laughs> you know? Really? We really? Did, we, did, we, did a, we, did a, we did a couple of gigs, yeah. And then um, I always wondered why Chaz and Dave never had a guitar player, and now we know yeah. he blew them out. It's like <laughs> so, uh, yeah. They carried on uh, uh, doing what they what they did. Uh, they were called Oily Rags to begin with, or the FC rhyming slang oh, of for fags. Yeah. yeah, Oily Rags. <laughs> Got any Oily Rags? So uh, anyway. Um, <laughs> I was uh, I was at a record launch. I think it was our last Heads, Hands and Feet record. 
and uh, I mean, we'd done this album for for Ahmed Ertegen, and Chaz and I had left. You know, they were a little disappointed that mm -hmm. the band was breaking up. You know, <laughs> but they did keep me on, signed to Warner Brothers, with a view to me doing a solo record, yep. which I never did. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were paying me fifty pounds a week to, uh, you know, to uh, to get ready to do an album. You know, and uh, but in the meantime. Uh, I ran into Rick Gretsch in London. He said, hey, he said, the crickets are coming over. Um, and Glendy Hardin, the, the piano player, he's, uh, he's got to finish up a couple of days with Elvis Presley in Las Vegas. So, uh, you know, would you like to do, do a couple of gigs with us until he arrives? I said, yeah, oh, fantastic. You know, I was a huge yeah. fan of the crickets, yeah. you know. So we played the speakeasy. And I don't know if you remember the speakers. It was where all the crazy musicians used to hang out, you know, Keith Moon and whatever, you know, and it was a great place. So I played there, the first night I played there with the, with the crickets and Jerry Allison at the end of the night said, hey, that was great. He said, do you want to do the whole tour? <laughs> so uh, off I went on the road with the crickets. Oh, fantastic. Playing working men's clubs around the UK and uh, for, for a few weeks, you know. And then, uh, not long after that, they flew me out, flew me back to LA, and um, to do an album. So uh, there we are in Los Angeles, and we're going to. Uh, uh, I said, "Well, we're going to drive to Nashville to do this record." And I said, "Oh, okay." And, um, <laughs> Rick, Rick, and I hadn't travelled a lot in, well in the states. You know, I'd done a bit of travelling, flying around with. Like a three-day drive, is it, to get from LA to Nashville? Oh, it was like three and a half days, and that was non-stop. <laughs> they were taking pills to stay awake, and I, I just felt dreadful when we got there. Uh, but yeah, when I got to Nashville, I thought, oh, this is fantastic. We did an album, and it would turn, you know, it turned out pretty good. And uh, Bob Montgomery, who who used to work with Buddy Holly in the early days, and Buddy and Bob, they did right. a little duo, you know. He was the producer. And, he, and we took a break one Saturday night. He said, yeah, come on, let's go down to the, the opera, you know. So we went back straight, backstage at the Grand Ole Opera, the old building, yeah. the Ryman Auditorium. And, um, uh, uh, I mean, it was a lot different then, you know, the tiny little dressing rooms at the side of the stage. He said, well, come on, let's see who's in here. And there's uh, George Jones and Tammy Wynette, and he <laughs> introduced me to them. <laughs> I saw all these people in Kings great... and queens of yeah. country, yeah. I thought, wow, this is fantastic. And uh, uh, so, yeah, I, I, so, uh, yeah, I guess uh, a few months later, I was back in England again, and I um, did another tour with the Crickets, mm -hmm. and then back to LA again and did another album, this time in, in Los Angeles. And I started to spend a little more time there in LA, you know. I actually bought, I bought a car from a, a musician friend of mine and uh, go and I'd play, play the local clubs and whatever. And uh, I remember um, I was at Jerry Allison's house. This was 73 and the Everly brothers had, been, had a big fight and broken up. They, right. they never spoke to him for, for another 10 years. I was at uh, I was at Jerry Allison's house and Don Everly called him. He said, "Hey, J.I. That's what we call Jerry. Jerry Ivan Allison. J.I. He said, uh, I play this little bar, you know, in, 
in the, in the valley, you know, you you come out. There's a lot of great musicians, and they're mostly country players, you know. But you know, the cream of the crop. These are all names that I'd known from, yeah. you know, the back of albums. You know, like Byron Berline, great fiddle player, John Hartford, who who wrote Gentle in My Mind, and um, Doug Dillard, a, a banjo player, and Al Perkins, a steel player. So I. I, I um, Oh, so anyway, uh, J.I. said, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, well, we, we'll try and get out there. He said, oh, by the way, I've got Albert Lee here. I'll bring him out too. And there was kind of a silence at the end of the line there, and Don said, uh, that's Phil's friend, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, I took my guitar and my Telecaster out there and I immediately be became Don's big buddy, and uh, we did a lot for, yes. over the next few years when he was solo, you know, and I think he was really happy to have a sidekick, you know, and uh, and I used to, but I do, a, I do sessions, and uh, I remember one time, I think I had about three of his guitars in, in the apartment of the house I was staying, you know, he'd loan me these guitars. Were you, know? were you um, <clears throat> was there any sort of sense from the other American players at the time that you were maybe stepping on their patch, or were, was it very, like is it no, just a very friendly uh, kind of I never I can't really feel... ever remember get, getting that feeling that people were really enthusiastic mm. they lo loved what I was doing I was I was I was playing country but I was playing with an English rock edge yeah. to it you yeah. know and uh, yeah I'd have, I'd have I was I was certainly accepted in LA and, yeah. uh, I mean I think you're it's probably fair to say that that uh, you probably you know you, you've built, you were better received over there, I think, than even oh, was over, it? over at that here, time. You know? Yeah, mm. much better. Yeah, I thought, boy, it, it's. I knew this is where I should be, and it's mm. taken me all this time to get here. You, you know? found your sort of spiritual yeah. home. A lot of people take that about Nashville, don't they? You know, that, that, as guitar yeah. players, anyway, that, that there's oh, some yeah. beating heart of guitar oh, there that, well yeah uh, it's a very small place LA's a lot bigger mm. of course you know but uh, you know you run in you go out on the street you run into so many people in Nashville you know you go to a restaurant you about to see like half a dozen people right. you know you know it's not quite like that in LA so, so when you came back to the UK then so if we sort of jump we're sort of late 70s now how did the uh, how did the, the connection with Eric Clapton come up because you know you, you spent quite a long time touring with him as well didn't yeah. you? yeah well um, let's see I well I'm missing out the, the important the important part which kept me in LA was uh, going going along to see Emilio Harris, Harris yeah, of band. course yeah and Glendy was, was the, the piano player in that band yeah who I played with in the crickets, and uh, I went backstage at one of their gigs because I was I just go to see James, James Burton, you know yeah. I was a huge James Burton fan, you know. In fact, James invited us all to go and see Elvis, so we drove out to to Las Vegas. So I did <laughs> see Elvis once in in his good in his good days, you yeah. Know? And uh, so uh, yeah, I went backstage at this uh, a gig. And they said, oh, Albert, we're just thinking about you, you know, uh, uh, would you like to play with us for a, a few days? Because James is going to go and play with Elvis. I said, well, yeah, I'd love to, you know. So, uh, 
make a long story short here, I, I you know, I, 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 uh, I, I did uh, one gig with them. Um, actually, I, I was supposed to rehearse with them and maybe sit in on a couple mm -hmm. of gigs, but I got a call uh, two days later from from Glenn D. He said, James has got the flu, you're playing tonight. <laughs> so I was, I was straight in at the deep end. Nice. So that was it. And uh, James went off to do these gigs with uh, with Elvis and uh, they they gave him an ultimatum. He said, come on, James, we need a regular guitar player. And uh, he, he decided that <laughs> it was, you know, he was going to stay with Elvis, which is good in the... In the short term, but not in the long term, as we know, because wow. Elvis passed away the following year. But that, that was the moment. I'd, I'd been working with Joe Cocker out there for about 18 months, and I'd met my, I'd met my now wife, you know, so we were living at Joe's house. And uh, off I went on the road with, uh, with Emmy Lou, and we found a great little apartment in, Nash in, uh, in, in Malibu for relatively little money overlooking the ocean. And I thought, this is it. I'm I'm playing with a great band now. The kind of music I love. Yeah. The boy from Greenwich is pinching himself, isn't he? Yeah. He's going... Here I am in in in. Uh, <laughs> and uh, by this time, you know, I've gotten to know Don really well, and uh, you know, he get, he really appreciated my my friendship yep. at that time, you know, and he knew how much I coveted his guitars, you know, <laughs> so he gave me his. Black J two hundred with a matching white pick glass, wow. which I still have, of course. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I, I did Emmy Lou for a while, and, and then uh, I recorded. I signed up with A uh, and M when I was with Joe Cocker, and I still believe to this day that um, Jerry Moss thinks he signed Alvin and not Albert Lou, because <laughs> when, because when I, when I really because I. When I delivered the the tracks to him, it, it was a bit down down home for him. He did, and I I actually had Chas and Dave playing, and I flew. I had a, a budget. I flew Chas and Dave out to L.A. and we had a ball doing these tracks, you know. But uh, anyway, it sat there, and uh, he, I think they wanted me to do more stuff, and and then I I, I think I went on the road with Emmy Lou, and so it, nothing much happened over the next year or so. And then I ran into Jerry Moss at a, at a Joan Armour trading gig. I was playing with Joan Armour trading briefly. I took over from Jerry Donahue and uh, met Jerry Moss backstage. He said, I'd really like you to finish that record, you know. <laughs> so I managed to prize more money out of him <laughs> to, to redo a record. And I did it with the hot band, you know. Right. So the record came out in 79, but I'd, I'd gotten a call from... Glenn Johns, he was recording with this uh, American singer called Mark Benno at Olympic, Olympic mm -hmm. Studios in London. And Eric was playing guitar on it and some of Eric's band, you know. So I flew back to London to do these sessions and uh, at the end of the week, you know, Eric and his manager said, hey, well, do you fancy coming on the road? And I thought... And, I, I, you know, I've got a record coming out and I'm supposed to promote it. What am I going to do? I had to just decide what to do. Am I going to try and get back with Amy Lou? I should really put a band together and work this record. But this is Eric Clapton. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to enjoy this. this, this the, 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 in, the twining of stories. Last week, um, uh, we had a chap called Tim Rennick here. Um, oh, yeah. 
Well, he took over from me. So, the, the, so I, the, bizarrely, the story that he had uh, a Joan Armour trading gig, and Joan, who must she must live in Guildford because I see her in the store, you know, every couple oh, okay. of months or so. And yeah. you know, anyway. So Tim had the Joan Armour trading gig that he'd committed to, and Eric mm. phoned him to say, "Do you want to?" Do the, and he said to Eric, first of all, I can't, I've promised Joan. And he, had, he slept on it and, and a bit like you just went, what am I doing? And then had to phone Joan's manager to say, yeah. I, I, I've got to do this Eric thing. And, but it's just so weird, yeah. like, within oh, the, well, like in seven days, we've had these two really, yeah. you know, sort of amazing stories from two yeah. people, you know, at the, in the same yeah. similar place, same sort of time. Yeah. Amazing. But so, yes, yeah, so you that, made the decision. That, yeah, that was 79. So off I went on the road with Eric for five years. And during that five years, he fired the whole band twice, <laughs> except for me. He kept me on, you know. And, what do you uh, think that was? I mean, it, well, I, I, he was not in a good place. He was yeah. drinking a lot. And uh, but what was your connection with him that that, that meant well, that your relationship endured? Well, whereas he the liked. Band wouldn't. See, when I when I joined him, he had uh, what he called the Tulsa Tops. He had Carl Radle and Dick Sims and mm-hmm. Jamie Oldacre. These guys had been with him for about eight, nine yeah. years, you know, and he liked the idea of having an English guy on stage again, you know. Right. And we were old mates from the Flamingo days yeah. Yeah. when he was with uh, uh, John Mayle, you know. So we had a great time. We were good buddies, you know. I mean, Tim Tim was saying that similar, you know, he would he would have you know regularly regularly be on these you know absolute all-night benders and you know as you say the liquid breakfast and all this kind of stuff yeah and he would come out and yet still every night never ever missed a beat musically was just it was like unbelievable yeah well i mean it was never bad but there Mm. were (laughs) there were graduations of uh of his performance, you know, which when, when was, he, was this? he would admit to, I'm sure, you know. What, what year did you start working with Eric? 79. 79, because I just watched an, a fantastic documentary, which I think may have been the year before, because, I, I mean, certainly I didn't, didn't see you in it, but where he did the tour across Europe on the train. That was before I joined. That was before, yeah. was that it? That was Goring's train, you know. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's just... A, it's just a, <laughs> I've never seen this. If you, you guys have to, I kind of just search on YouTube for Eric Clapton train tour, and this must be what seventy-seven, then seventy-eight, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. And his, he's got Eric's got this obsession with trains, like every every British, every English sort of schoolboy's dream, and it drive a train when you grow up. Yeah. And he's decided to put together this tour where the the gigs are all strategically placed so that he can get the train from, a, and he. He, he must have rented, he kind of bought it, but he's either bought or rented yeah, an think, old think, Nazi, Goering's old Nazi yeah, train. No, I, th- I think you could rent it. Yeah, yeah. And, maybe, and that's, maybe still, I don't know. Yeah, and all the kit was, and the band and everybody was just loaded onto the train yeah, after yeah. every gig, and yeah. you just, but this documentary is, um, you just, he's, he is just drinking and yeah. the, solidly, well, and, it, uh, and you know. Well, he was when I was with him, you know, it, it was brandy for breakfast, sadly, you know. And uh, but you know he he, he kicked the the heroin yeah which is you know not an easy thing to do I'm sure uh, but you know you when you got obsessions like that you mm. you replace it with something you know did you and, uh, did you always manage to avoid that kind of scene or oh certainly avoided the heroin yeah. yeah. But even uh, the heavy drinking, you know, we always relatively no, clean. I could, uh, no, no, I was, you know, I love wine, you know, mm. and. Uh, uh, 
you know, I drink it after the gig, you know, mm. but usually a, a beers or wine, mm. you know. And certainly with dinner, I love a, a glass of wine with dinner, but no, I couldn't drink during mm. the day. Because that would have been, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, that was, I mean, he was just, well, where, where do you go from when someone writes, you know, Clapton is God, and then, you know, it's like, you, you just, there's nowhere else left to go, is there, really, yeah. from that point of view? But, yeah. you know, he's just a phenomenal talent. Another one of this country's finest ever, isn't he? So, yeah. but that... It was, yeah, he had a lot on his shoulders, you mm. know. I remember we were walking around somewhere like Sweden or whatever, and we'd, we were walking down the road again. There was a music shop, and there was some kind of display in the window, you know, featuring him, you know. I said, yeah, hey, look at that, Eric, that's pretty cool, you know. And, uh, you know, he said, no, you, you don't have to deal with it. It's not, you know, it, well, he didn't feel really? comfortable Just, with it, mm. you know. Uh, but, no, I mean, I, I loved being with him, you know. It was, it, we had a great time. But, uh, I don't know, he just, uh, I, as I said, I survived two band changes. And uh, he, uh, uh, he finally let me go after this tour. Well, I think we were in, we did a tour of Europe where we ended up in, uh, Egypt and 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 uh, the Israel. train took a wrong turn somewhere. <laughs> yeah, well, we went to Egypt and uh, all of a sudden we were going to play at the American School there in Cairo, and uh, uh, they decided they weren't going to give us work visas to play there. So we ended up having a having a, a three or four day vacation right by the pyramids. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, so oh yeah, we took camel rides around there, you know and. And oh, if you ever get out there, you be careful, you know, because you get on a camel and bang, they're, you're off, you know, and they take you out in the middle of uh, the middle of the desert there on this camel. And they say, right, you know, the Americans, they usually give us like $150, you know, or $200. I said, oh, I don't have the money. I don't have that much money on, the, you know, but Eric got caught out there with his wife and he had to leave, he had to leave Patty out there while he went back to the hotel to get cash. To I'm only laughing because I bet you to, never thought that you'd hear to, stories of Eric Clapton and Albert Lee riding camels in Egypt <laughs> at the beginning of this video. I was pretty sure people didn't tune but, in for you know, that. Uh, but, uh, I thought, oh, the bastards, you know. What a, but, uh, you know, I felt sorry for them, but they were real con artists, you know. And uh, I had this young kid who, who took me, and uh, when I started to complain about this, he was going, shouting out to his brother, and his brother came up, and they were gnashing their dirty teeth at me, you know. I thought, oh, well, I think I had about 50 bucks on me, you know. <laughs> you oh, could have bought three camels for that, it, I think. It was a nightmare, yeah. <laughs> but it was a great experience. We went into Cairo to the museum, and oh, fantastic. But I got back at the end of that tour and went up to pick up what money I had left mm. from <laughs> Eric's <laughs> office and his manager said, well, sorry, boy, but, uh, you know, decided not to use you on the next record, you know. But uh, Was that a sort of a bit of a half a relief and half not? I mean, Yeah, was it I wasn't half... surprised. Yeah. I wasn't surprised, you know, because I've seen it happen so, yeah. so many times before, you know. I thought it's going to happen to me one day, you know. And uh, so, uh, no, uh, sad, really, but, um, but I, I moved on. And uh, it was just about that time that um, I'd, I'd run into Eric after that. I remember I did, we used to do these little gigs for Gary Brooker, his mm -hmm. local Christmas gigs. Yep. And Eric would come and play, you know, all around this Cranley area. and, yeah. Um, yeah. Eric, you know, I saw Eric at one, one of these gigs, you know, and he was a little guarded, you know, but we got chatting and 
usually talking about cars and about Ferraris and stuff, you know. He got, you know, it was because of him I bought a Ferrari. Nice. I'm so glad I did. <laughs> it's, it's a good investment. Oh, you so, bought an old one, did you? Oh, yeah. Oh, I see. 61, yeah. There's a whole other video. Oh, yeah. man. So okay. I've still, I've still got that, thank goodness, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we got, we got, you know, talking about cars and whatever. But, uh, no, we've, uh, we've always we've run into each other over the years and, uh, you know, I've done a few things with him. Mm. And, of course, I uh, did the concert for George with him, you know. I, and that, that was uh, so much fun. Yeah, but... Um, you did Crossroads as well, I think, haven't you? At one yeah, point or I other, did. Well, so. I would have done. I'd, I missed the first one because I'd committed to do uh, a thing in Boston, or is it? Oh gosh, Baltimore. It was called the World's First Guitar Congress. Right. That sounds uh, heavy. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, Andy Summers was on it, and there was a bit of a mixture, you know, of players, and uh, this this woman who put it together, called me up. She said, I just found out that Eric's doing this huge concert. It's this like Crossroads thing in Dallas. The same weekend we're doing our concert. Do you think you could call him and, and get him to change it? <laughs> I said, I don't think so. So we did, we did, this, we did this festival and, they, and sadly it wasn't a, much of a success for her, you know. Mm -hmm. we, got, we got paid, but... Yeah, it's, it's a bad it's name. A shame, the Guitar yeah. Congress. It, sounds, yeah. it doesn't sound. I've like still a... got a mug with it. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> but you but, did uh, what Crossroads the following. Yeah, uh, I did. I did every. I did every. You did one every of one them after that. Great. Yeah. Got, so I, I, got, I, I couldn't do. Yes, he asked yeah. me to do the first one, which I couldn't do. But I, I did every. Who, one who were you on the uh, bill with then, or not? Oh, on the bill with which, oh no, you usually with a more of a country. You know, like I did it with Vince Gill's band. Usually, you know, so it was great. Music and uh, mm -hmm. Willie came out and and uh, did you yeah. did you know that uh, I mean at the time I certainly I remember growing up and thinking that having never really been in, uh, been uh, listened to any country stuff so for me all the like the gu guitar heroes were the sort of you know the the, the speedy Steve Vise and Gary Moores and all this you know. Mm. and then I remember later in life hearing things like you know Vince Gill and stuff like that and just thinking and yourself and just going oh man these guys are off because they're not they haven't got all lots of distortion and effects to hide behind this is just oh, no. straight up plugged into an amp yeah and the technique is insane yeah i mean it's it's just and i well you get yeah you can't hide behind the, the effects with playing that that way you know? yeah it's, there it's, aren't many players out there who yeah. are who will just plug into the front of an amp, you know? Yeah, with a Telecaster as well, with, with a, a guitar. That you, it's almost like yeah. this, like you're just laying your soul bare here, aren't you? I'm just yeah. plugging in, and yeah. if I make well, a mistake, it's coming out. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I used to play with Vince out in L.A., you know, and, oh. and uh, he was quite young, and, uh, he, uh, you know, he, he was, you know, I mean, he, he will tell you that I was one of his big influences on yeah. the Telecaster at the time, as was... Uh, Ricky Skaggs, because yeah. he didn't play electric guitar at that time. He played yeah. mandolin and acoustic guitar and fiddle, yeah. you know. Yeah. And he decided that he wanted to learn to play play a telecaster. He got quite you know? good. Yeah. Yeah. So we yeah, we we worked together with the Hot Band, and I played <laughs> on a few of his records. But uh, yeah, so uh, 
after I got fired from Eric, I mean, <laughs> these things fall into place. I, um, I was, let's see, this was 83. And uh, I got a call from a friend of, uh, a, real, a real dear friend of Phil Everly's. His name's Terry Slater. And uh, he played bass, he's an English, English guitar player and bass player, but he played bass with the Everly's in the 60s for a while and uh, remained uh, Phil's friend to the end, you know. And he, anyway, he called me up, he said, the guys have uh, been getting together, you know, doing little secret rehearsals, <laughs> and they decided that they want to give it another try. This is after 10 years, you right. know. Mm -hmm. He said, uh, you know, are you interested in, we're, we're going to do this show at the Royal Albert Hall, the re reunion concert. Yeah. I said, oh, fantastic. I thought, oh, great, after all this time, I'll get to play with the Everly Brothers at least once. You yeah. Know? So, uh, yeah, we, did, we rehearsed here in London. And uh, on the first, after the first day's rehearsal, we showed up the second day and they said, oh, someone's broken into the rehearsal room. <laughs> Half the stuff's gone. <laughs> and these kids had, had, had uh, like picked up the, you know, you know the... Uh, 410 Music Man amps. I had one of those. Well, I still got it here in, in England. And they're really heavy, yeah, they, you know. We've got four, yeah. four JB, <laughs> 10 inch JBLs in it. They'd lifted it up over like a, a, an eight foot wall and got it. And fortunately, it remained in. Anyway, the police found them but, oh, okay. with, uh, like a day, oh. day later. They followed the or, trail or of sweat, late, basically. Late, <laughs> late, later that day, yeah, we got everything back. <laughs> Oh, they were just young, young kids, you know. So uh, anyway, the concert was a huge success. I thought, well, I got to play with them once, you know. And then uh, I, I don't know, it, I don't know if it was a week or a month later. I got a call from Terry. Uh, he said uh, the guys have been offered a record deal, and we're going to tour the states this summer. Are you available? I said, well, sure. Yep. Yeah, I just got fired by Eric. You know? <laughs> so. Uh, off we went on the road and I thought, wow, oh, this is great, you know, and a really good band. And uh, I thought, well, I wonder how long this will last, you know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it lasted for 26 years. <laughs> I worked with them for 10, 26 years after that. Wow. Yeah. Now, I mean, this, I, how did you, I mean, you must have at this time... I'm looking over at Wayne now, trying to guess his age and everything like that. But you, obviously, you're now starting to balance. You're trying to balance your career with fatherhood, with you know. Well, you know, sadly, I, I disappeared off to America. You did, yeah, it was just. But I mean, is, we, we were still close, but they didn't see much of me there for a, for a, f a few months, especially when I was with Emmy Lou. Right. I didn't come back to England for about. 15 months or so. I mean, that's tough, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I came over to do a, an Emmy Lou tour in the UK. And, uh, you know, I hadn't seen Wayne and, and his sister for, you know, over, well over a year. Wow. You know, we talk on the phone. Yeah. You know, but, um, but you know, uh, after that, I, I, you know, I was coming over. Making really, more of a, you know. Yeah, and try then, and fit, it, fit the family in with yeah. the touring and the work schedule. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's that's always tough, isn't it, as a touring guitar player? You know, particularly I think when you're um, one of the band rather than the cent. You know, because it's a bit like I suppose you don't feel like you can demand 
the, the family come along or time off or whatever. It's just if they're the dates, well, then they're the dates. Well, Wayne ended up coming on the road with me. Really? Yeah, well, he hadn't. He didn't. It was more fun for him to ride with the roadies in their bus <laughs> than, than ours. Well, there must be so, some memories. So from he there. was on the road with us for a while, and I've got twin daughters too. And my, oh and, wow! Uh, uh, one of them. Uh, well, they both came out uh, separate times with me for a little while. You know. Is this so, during the Everly Brothers stuff? Yeah, the yeah. Everly Brothers mm. stuff, yeah, because there was always lots of room on the bus and, you know, Phil was uh, was pretty cool about having people around on, on the bus. You know, Don preferred his, uh, right. uh, uh, you know, a little quiet. He didn't have so many people on his bus, you know. But, um, but yeah, we used to get crazy on Phil's bus, you know, <laughs> after the gig, you know. Well, the last time I saw Phil before he passed away, we were at some Buddy Holly special uh, in L.A. at this theatre. It was the day that Buddy Holly got his star on Hollywood Boulevard mm -hmm. and then we showed up. At, we were in Capitol Studios and I presented uh, Phil with a, um, a, a guitar. Um, there's a, a guy here who has uh, sponsored this... Uh, Foundation where they make these copies of Buddy Holly's first yeah. Gibson guitar and they hand them out to various musicians. I was lucky enough to get one, you know. Wow. And I presented Phil with his that day, you know. Anyway, we we did uh, we um, we went to see this show that night. I wasn't participating. Well, I didn't know I'd be participating until I got there for the rehearsal. And Peter Asher had put it all together. He'd done an album of Buddy Holly songs, you right. know which I, I, did, I wasn't on it, but uh, he came up to me during the rehearsal. He said, well, would you uh, get up and play in the encore? I said, well, well yeah, I don't have a guitar here. <laughs> oh, we'll find your guitar. Please, please, you know. So that was the last time I saw Phil, you know. And I remember we were chatting before the gig and he said, oh, he said, I, I, I kind of miss those old days, you know, when we were on the road, he said, I don't miss being on stage, but I miss being on the bus with everybody. <laughs> awesome stories. Yes, we've just had a short interlude, but, uh, you know, unbelievable. Of I, I, I've not quite heard as many famous names clanged into an interview as this. I mean, that is, that is <laughs> well, some career. No, no, no. I, if, if it was me, I'd be, I would, I'd be dropping them in left, right and centre. Well, I feel but, very, very fortunate that I've played with, so many heroes of mine, mm. you know, and uh, uh, I never thought it would happen, you know. I'm just, just the Everly Brothers and the Crickets alone, you know. When I was 14 or 15 and I heard their records, I never would have dreamt that I would have spent so much time with these guys late in life, you know. Yeah, and that, it, yeah. I, 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 I'm sure that, you know, you will sit and reflect on just what an unbelievable and it may it, i wonder sometimes whether you're in it whether or not you really realize just how like i mean you, you of all the eight billion seven billion people on the planet you know there's like there's a minuscule number of people that will be able to go yeah that happened to me you know it's just yeah, it's insane I feel very fortunate but anyway you 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 shouldn't feel i mean you obviously deserved it you know you've worked unbelievably hard and your your, your talent on the guitar has put you in these places but um I guess, you know, one of your most enduring relationships throughout this time uh, has been with a with a guitar supplier, uh, you know, as well yeah. as the, the artist that we talked with in Music Man. Yeah. Um, well, it was uh, Ernie Ball to begin with. 
I, I, I'll tell you how it started. Yeah. I, it was probably on our second Head, Hands and Feet tour. Uh, we were playing, I think we, we played at the Forum. We were opening up for somebody like Jethro Tull or whatever, and then we had our own gig at the... Clang. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just, I'm going to do that now every time. <laughs> clang, clang, <laughs> and we and we played the uh, um, we played a club in LA, and uh, um, I don't know how. I guess they came up to us at a gig. It, Ernie Ball was, you know, used to listen to Ray. He kept his finger on the pulse, mm -hmm. listening to music, you know, and he heard this. Uh, he heard Country Boy on the radio. And uh, he was just highly tickled to discover this was an English band playing country, <laughs> playing this song, you know. So uh, he and his son Sterling came to see us play. They came to the Forum and they came to the Whiskey A Go Go to see us, you know. And uh, they said, oh, you should come down to the factory. You know, they were down in Newport Beach at the time, you know, and they were just doing strings. Yep. Well, in fact, they were making acoustic guitars, uh, Earthwood guitars, which right. they didn't really uh, take off. I don't know. I guess they sold uh, a few, you know, and they were making those big acoustic basses too, you know. But uh, they said, yeah, come on down, you know. So I went down, had dinner with the family, you know, Ernie and and uh, and his, his wife Nova and uh, uh, maybe... Uh, well, it was Sterling and maybe maybe David, uh, the, the brother, or probably his sister, uh, Little Nova, we called her. And uh, anyway, I'd go down there regularly, and I'd end up staying at the house and and uh, and sleeping on the couch when there wasn't a <laughs> spare bedroom, you know. And uh, really, it was a, like a home from home. And uh, um, I think it was around that time that. Um, uh, uh, Ernie and uh, Nova got divorced, you know, but, uh, you know, they were they were all real friendly and I'll get to see them all. And, and uh, so I, t I started to do little gigs with Sterling. He'd put, you know, the high school band and that, and I'd, we'd do sort of silly cool. little little gigs, you know. We actually did one gig where Ernie brought his steel guitar out because he's originally a steel guitar player, you know. He, he played played guitar with us. And um, around that time, um, uh, Leo Fender and Tom Walker started the Music Man Company. Right. So I immediately uh, had an amplifier. <laughs> Sterling called up. He said, oh, yeah, he said, uh, um, you know, Tom Walker is a really good... He's actually... Uh, Tom was uh, Sterling's godfather. Right. You know? So uh, he said, yeah, Tom's designed all these amps and they want to get you one, you know. So uh, I said, oh, fantastic, you know, and uh, I don't know, I can't remember where I picked, if they shipped it to me or if I went down to, I probably went to the factory. Anyway, um, I, I ended up with like 15 of them. Every time there was a new <laughs> amp, you know, I started off the, the 130 watt 210, which is, you know, this big, weighs a ton, mm. but yeah, it's a monster, you know, and then I got, of course, I got a four, 410 because I always loved the the uh, the original Fender Bassman. Yeah. In fact, going back a bit, I I I still have, and uh, I was probably the only person to have them in the in the 60s. I had two original 410 Fender Bassmans in England because you they they never were imported no. here. You know, they didn't start 
and just as well for Jim Marshall that they weren't. Yeah, Otherwise, well, if you'd well, have anyone had been able to get a baseman, he might never have felt the need to uh, rip it up. Well, well can I say that? Here we are in L.A. and, and, and Newport Beach, and uh, Sterling's got me uh, a couple of Music Man amps. Yeah. And then uh, uh, I, I ended up with Joe Cocker and uh, realised I need something a bit bigger. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so uh, I got I got like, a couple of couple of hundred one thirty heads and about two or four cabinets. I think like reflex cabinets and whatever. And uh, each time they come out with an amp, you know, a new amp like a one ten or a one twelve yeah. or whatever, or the hundred watt RPs. You know, I've got uh, I've got three of those. I think yeah, I've got two of them in in England still. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've probably got about 15 of those, you know. And they were quite ahead of their time in the sense of that height. Because the ones I remember, I don't know what... I, mean, it's, I remember being in and around Anderton's late 80s, probably, are my earliest memories of it. Mm. And these Music Man amps being the solid-state preamp, yeah. solid-state front end and a valve power stage, which exactly, was really yeah. sort of back to front with what other manufacturers were doing of, yeah, of you know yeah. but they sounded phenomenal oh, yeah. super clean uh but as you say unbelievably heavy yeah. i don't think they ever really took off did they not no, in the way their guitars they weren't, did i mean they weren't cheap either no. were they no 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 and especially if it, you know they had like eminent speakers in them at mm. the time you know and i i always put jbls in mine you know classic the fender twin with the two jbls yeah. and everything you pick it up and the arm yeah. comes out your socket like. yeah <laughs> so uh yeah so i had this you know and i got to got to know leo fender down down at the factory too go down there and trying different amps and whatever you know and, i don't uh, think i've ever met anyone that's met leo fender so, before was it was yeah. he an enigmatic kind of guy yeah he was, he was great was nice you know, walk around with the pens in his top pocket and yeah. stuff you know just, no he was great i've actually got a cassette of where we were trying out uh, amps and whatever, and I had, I had a cassette player going as well, and uh, and Chaz and Dave were with me, so this would have been. They get everywhere these two, don't they? So, no, this is <laughs> this is when we did the album in LA. So they, they came down there, so they got to meet the people of people well. of my age, or maybe slightly younger, will literally have no idea that there was a Chaz and Dave prior to the whole Cockney thing. Oh yeah, but oh, it's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> But so, so yeah, so you had the, so Leo, you got to meet Leo, try yeah, stuff, and uh, you know, and then he was making the guitars and the basses, yep. and Tom was building the amps. So I had a couple of good, of the guitars, and I thought they were all right. You know, they were a little bit clunky. I mm -hmm. did, I preferred my telly, you know. And uh, sadly, um, Leo and Tom had a falling out. Mm -hmm. So Leo went off and started GNL. Yeah, and Tom carried on for a little while. And a uh, bit of a struggle for him, and he decided to sell up. Yeah. And uh, he, he sold it to Ernie Ball with the provision that he'd carry on working for Ernie Ball, you know, mm -hmm. and that he had his own place at the factory and where he was designing stuff and that. You know, I've got uh, a, a, an amazing uh, stereo amp that he built in really like polished wood. You know, I think he only made like three of them. You know, and I've still got that. I've only used it like three or four times. It's at home somewhere. That was the prototype that he built. And uh, Sterling's brother, uh, Sherwood, had one, I think. And Is so, there like a some sort of unbelievable 
Albert Lee cave somewhere where you sort of open the door and literally just like, there it is. 200 amps well, and 500 no, guitars. And they're, well, they're, no, they're, sp they're spread around the world. Are they? They're spread around the world, yeah. I, I, I need to write a list out. You should. <laughs> somebody said, somebody, I remember someone telling me a story about Van Halen once, Eddie Van Halen, with this and, the, and going into his lockup. And, it, and it's just literally thousands of amps and guitars that, that oh, just over oh, his that, career yeah. people have given him or he's bought. or And I think, I don't know if you was if he liked something, I'm really trying to remember what the amp was. I can't remember what it, it escaped me, but if he liked something, he would buy like a hundred of them, just obsessive about that. Anyway, 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 anyway. So, so when did the, the, cause it's, it's unusual that whole music man story and the very short period of time that Leo Fender was actually involved. And as you say, when you yeah. sort of read in between the lines, it feels like it was, never really felt like he felt as vested in that as he was with the Fender and with the GNL thing later. It was yeah. almost like a sort of not really sure. Here. Yeah, I think this was the first thing he'd done since he, uh, mm. he took a break when he sold yeah. it to CBS. Yeah. Um, but, but so when, when did the guitars really, well, and why was it Ernie, that... When Ernie bought the company mm. and then Sterling would call me up he said, and he said, well, I think we're going to maybe put out a guitar and mm. start from scratch. You know, so we... You know, he'd ask our opinion. You know, Steve Morse was involved at the time too. You mm -hmm. know, so we we give our two cents worth of what we thought we'd like in a guitar. And uh, you know, the first one was a silhouette. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I had a uh, the first silhouette they built for me. I had uh, um, uh, ebony ebony fingerboard on it because mm -hmm. I, I I used to like that on the on the Les Paul Custom. You know, but uh, a later one. That they they built for me is uh, still one of my favourites. It's just like a regular silhouette with uh, you know pick, pickups somewhat like this, but a tele back pickup on it. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, it it was great to play, really comfortable. You know, it's well, that, st still one of my favourite guitars. You know, it's it's the Ernie Ball when they when they the Music Man <coughs> neck is quite different to any other guitar that you'll pick up. I mean, it, it's, it feels, you know, narrower here than a, than a Telecaster, narrower generally than a Telecaster neck and perhaps a little bit more sort of circular feeling at the back. Yeah. Was that, do you, do you remember at the time well, you and Steve Morse kind of going, oh, do you know what, try this or? or? Well, I'd, um, I don't know. I guess the silhouette's a little different, you know, but I think it was like a year a year or so later, it was at the trade show, and they said, well, you know, they've got this new guitar. And uh, it was called the Axis. Yes. This was called the Axis then. And uh, I said, oh, I like that. It's kind of wacky looking. I really like that, you know. And uh, they didn't have a, a big production going because once they'd taken over the, the name, they start, mm. the big seller was the, the Music Man bass. Of course. You know, everybody yeah. wanted a Sting Music race, Man yeah. bass, mm. the Stingray bass. So um, I think it was maybe a few months later or whatever, we were just about to do one of our gigs, you know, for Sterling, you know. Yeah. And he called me up, he said, oh, I've just had a guitar built. You, wait you see it, you're going to love it. And it looked just like this. It was, it was a solid maple body with a maple neck. Exactly the same as except, except it was a plain white pickguard and a, a slightly different facet here. It had a facet that went down here. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, I, 
I opened the case up. I said, oh, fantastic. He went, okay, it's yours. And that, that, that was it. It, it. it was my guitar. And I, and I, I played that guitar forever. Yeah. Had you, you never been approached with guitar endorsements or anything oh, before? Oh, Fender, this? yeah. Loads of times. But well, no. of, of Telecaster, you know, and I'd say, yeah, well... And I'm, you know, so glad that I, I didn't really because my experience of all the guys that had signature Telecasters, you know, the guy who signed them up has left the company you know, and they kind of lose it. You know, Jerry, Jerry Donahue had one, and you know, uh, it's a it's a topical theme. Yeah, uh, and and you I know, thought, still is but, now. But you know, I've been uh, I've been loyal to to Sterling, and mm. he's been loyal to me. You know, and uh, so so that so, shape that was originally called the Axis became became your signature. Yeah, model. well, uh, you know, it was. I think once he started working with Eddie, and yes. uh, they've made him something like twenty six prototypes you know every other week they'd fly down to LA with a couple of guitars and yeah. say try this well oh, no I don't like that you know and eventually got something that he he liked you know yeah so they were able to build a, a larger facility for making guitars and then Sterling yeah. said I think we're going to put your guitar out you know brilliant and he said uh, what, what do you want to do with it do you want to do you want to do you want a telly back pickup on it? And I said, well, maybe, I don't know. And uh, I couldn't make my mind up, you know, and they made a couple of, I've, I've got one of these guitars, they made like a big uh, pick-shaped plate here mm -hmm. with a telly-type telly, telly type pickup in there, you know. So that could have been it if I decided on it, you know, but I'd, I couldn't make my mind up. He said, oh, well, he said, I'm, I'm going I'm to go with the one you've been playing. So it, out it came, you know, just a, a regular, not the, uh, not with the maple, but it was just an ash body. And uh, for some reason, they decided not to put the, the, the extra facet there, you know. And uh, it's, it's may, a, maybe it was made it a little easier in the, in the production, you know, to not have so many operations on the machine. I think, it's, but yeah. it's become. Yeah, I mean, it's become an iconic part. So, would, so after Van Halen, were you were you the second? You were the second artist sort of signature model because obviously... Oh, no, uh, Steve was first. Steve, Steve Lukather. Yeah, Steve. Right. No, no. Oh, Steve Morse. Morse. Steve Morse was the first one, yeah. Oh, really? So yeah. he, had his, he had the first signature Ernie Ball, um, did he? Yeah. Or Ernie, a Music Man guitar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Long, yeah. long before I did. St. Vincent. I will, yeah, I yeah. shouldn't forget that one. Well, well she wasn't there. She wasn't there. Yeah, fairness, well, she but. was playing one of mine yes. for a while, you know. She loved it. And then uh, I guess she talked Sterling into doing a, a model yeah. for her, you know. Well, of course, you know Bruno Mars has got a bunch of these now, playing them, and I, I'm praying that he doesn't go to Sterling and say, can I design a guitar? <laughs> he's a talented dude, that guy. Oh, he is, he? yeah. Got, I've only heard, um, heard a bit of what he's done, but no, he but, is, yeah. Uh, do you want to, you, you know, give us, give us some, some tones or just a little bit of a... Yeah, well, it's, it's very, you know, I, I don't... Yeah, you, well, you know what, 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 I, what I do, it, it's it. Is that position two your kind of yeah. typical yeah, sound? Yeah, uh, most of the time, yeah I, yeah. I use these two, yeah. Yeah. 
uh, this pickup is uh, boosted a little hotter than than a Strat pickup. You know, these are Seymour Duncans. Right. And uh, so it's, it's a little hotter, yeah. But um, most of the time I'm using these two together or, or, or this one on its own. Ballads um, sometimes these two together or, yeah. or this one on, on its own, you know. But most of the time it's, it's, it's these two, yeah. It's such an iconic sound. I, I remember the first uh, guitar clinic I saw with you and, and you really uh, explained how you used the, the slapback delay thing to get that sort of double tracked guitar sound. And it's just so, it's so you, you know, when you, when you hear that, you hear you play even just a, a, a few chords, you know. You, you, yeah, it's... well, yeah, I suppose I do have a, a recognizable tone and, and style. Not many guitar players, I think, can can claim that. You know, I think you, you know, when you when you sort of you hear something and you go, oh yeah, that's Eric Clapton. Oh yeah, yeah that's BB King or whatever. And you go, yeah. you're you're in that kind of vein of just going like, it's yeah. a sound. It's just. When, 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 well, were you able to? Because it, it was interesting. You you use like a Korg rack mount sort of delay. Yeah. Is that just like an always on feature of your guitar playing? Or oh yeah yeah. So it's just, it, I used like maybe three settings on there. Mm -hmm. You know, there's one similar to what I've got here, like a delay, there's a little compression and, and reverb. Yeah. You know, and then another setting, I'll add a little little chorus. Yeah. And then uh, for, you know, sort of uh, my version of a kind of power sound is a, a real uh, very quick delay, you know, that, that yeah. has a lot of punch to Almost it. Almost like a double tracked kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a shredder in the, <laughs> in the, in the, the mould of uh, what people think of as now as uh, a shredding, you know, because I, I, I hate to disguise as the guitar. Yeah, I've never you really know? heard you be a big sort of user of any kind of distortion or anything. No, like I that. hate it's it. Not your... Really, I hate it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I like a little bit of compression, you know, to, to get some. Get some uh, uh, some sustain out of it, but uh, not a great deal, you know. When you were doing the the, the Clapton thing, though, I mean, was there, was that not? We, you know, I didn't uh, have uh, a lot of effects then. Really? I think maybe I had a a friend of mine worked for Lexicon in the States, mm -hmm. and he he got me a really nice PCM forty two, really yep. nice delay, and you can add. Uh, uh, you can get, or, or modulate the the delay so you get a, a little bit of chorus in there. But you like weren't that. driving like Marshalls and getting big dirty sounds no, or anything, it was all still, all still clean was it? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm kind of uh, odd man out really in a way, but there are a lot of guys who uh, who play that way, you know, who play the, the style that I play now, you know, I love uh, Brad Paisley, I love what he does. It's just amazing, you know. Oh, but he's phenomenal. got he's got tons of uh, mm. compression on it, you know. But it's still clean, you know, and all, that twang that you get. You know? I love it. And and of course, so the range of your signature <laughs> guitars goes from the sort of you've got the the the, the sort of the, the the basic American one. Uh, yeah. You've done this gorgeous. This is a few years old now, isn't it? But this gorgeous all rosewood neck. Um, version of it as well which yeah. I, uh, I, I i'm gonna grab it because i just yeah. think these things sound oh, this weighs next to nothing this one so you, you you've got the two humbuckers 
solid rosewood neck versions. Mm. Um, what was the on the humbucker side of things? Is that just something well, that you was use? That, that, I have to say that was their idea. Right. They, they called me up and said, "Well, you know, a lot of guys like humbuckers, and what do you what do you think if we put a couple of humbuckers?" Yeah. And I said, "Yeah, well, you you guys know what what's best. Yeah, great." And I I, I have one. Uh, that you know, I've used it a few times, but I always come back to the to this sound. You know, mm -hmm. like, I do like the humbuckers, but I know it, a lot of a lot of guys do like this now. In fact, I have they only made three, three of them with with three humbuckers. Three humbuckers. Yeah. The Nigel Tufnell signature. Yeah. yeah. Although so, Steve Morse's guitar's got a few pickups on it, hasn't yeah, it? So. Yeah. So I, I have I have one with three humbuckers, and I haven't seen it in a while. <laughs> it's, it's Amazing, a, like it's like an old sort of Les Paul custom of those or cases, something. Yeah, and um, uh, and they did they did them with three P nineties as well. Really? Yeah. I've never seen one of those. Oh, you haven't? No. No. I, uh, they did them for a short while, and I, I love the sound of the P nineties. Yeah. And in fact, I asked them. They built me a guitar not too long ago. With with just two P90s in it, yeah. and uh, with two volume controls, and it, it, um, I still haven't quite worked out if I like the the way I've set it up. And they actually sent me another pit guard, you know, with the with the you know similar to this with a five way switch and whatever, you know. So I'm experimenting with that, but I I do like the sound of the, the of the P90s, and uh, I think I might give that a try when I go home. You should do, absolutely. Yeah. And more recently, like as in for this year, oh hang on, what have we got here? We've got another gorgeous one. Is that another BFR? I think it's another humbucker one, but uh, look at that with like a um, baked maple. Yeah, that's nice. Bird's eye maple neck. I just played that one earlier. Oh, yeah, that's a very nice one, yeah. Stunning. And they're nice, yeah. they're, they're, they're quite, um, Oh, I was going to say aerodynamic, but it's the wrong word. But you know, the, the design is functional, isn't it? It sort of fit, the balance so, yeah. is nice. It sort of there's yeah. nothing's getting in the way. Yeah. Um, the one ergonomic. That oh, was the yeah. word, not aerodynamic. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, talking of dear old Sterling, son of Ernie. Um, well, this is re relatively new to me. First one I've seen one up close. I did. I think I did see one at Nam when yeah. I was there. But uh, yeah, they're they're pretty good, and uh, um, you know it's a great way to sort of get into uh, into the Music Man family. Really. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so all the, all the yeah. proper Music Man stuff will be American made, and then to to make a more affordable version. I think they do Sterling versions of most of the artist models. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. Um, they took it. Uh, they 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 only just started to do this, you know. But you know, I left it. I left it up up to them they decide they know the market you know so yeah it's still got a very uh similar feel it's maybe it feels just a smidgen wider at the at the nut than maybe the american ones do but it's it's got a, a yeah, very similar really kind of yeah. vibe but um very very cool I, I, it's going to be remiss of me not to play some 12 bar thing old rock and roll thing and you to noodle over the top Okay. Because let's be honest with you, I'm never going to get another chance to do this. And then, and then when I'm 70-something years old, I shall name-clang to my grandchildren going, there was this time when I played with Albert Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
Oh, I'm sorry to put you on the spot and make you do that, but that was very, very cool. And thank you very, very much for oh, doing you're that. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, so I have uh, one last request, and hence the reason the piano is in the corner. And this is a, uh, um, a sort of a happy and a sad uh, memory for me. But my uh, late father-in-law was a massive Albert Lee fan and he I first met him actually before I even met my wife so his daughter uh, at an Albert Lee clinic and we he and I went used to go and see you every time you'd play locally and but he'd never met you and about probably about eight weeks before he passed away maybe a bit more than that 12 weeks before he passed away you did a clinic for Anderton's he came along, he was very unwell at the time, uh, but you spent some time with him after the gig, talked to him, and I know he was absolutely, absolutely made up. And then at his funeral, the song that his best friend suggested we play was Highwayman by Johnny Cash. And then, of course, earlier this year on the Old Grey Whistle Test, I see you're on there, and you get your piano out and you play Highwayman. Anyway, look, this is Albert Lee, Uh, playing Highwayman uh, by Johnny Cash for my late great father-in-law Claude Wilkins. I, I honestly can't thank you enough for this. I was a highwayman Long the coat through daddy bright Shot and pistol by my side Many a young girl the bubbles to my trade Many a soldier left his life blood on my blade Finally hung me in the spring of 25 I am still alive I was a sailor With the sea I did abide Sail a schooner around the Horn of Mexico I went to loft and furled the mainsail in a blow When the earth broke up they say that I got killed I am living still I was a dam builder Across the river deep and wide Stealing water did the light Place called Boulder on the wild Colorado Slipped and fell into the wet concrete below They buried me in that great tomb that knows no sound But I am still around All goes round and
I fly a starship Across the universe divide When I reach the other side Find a place to rest my spirit if I can Perhaps I may become a highwayman again I may simply be a single drop of rain I will still remain I'll be back True gentleman, now. Oh, Thank you yeah. so gonna, much for I'm doing gonna, that. I've got to tell you a, a funny little story. Do let's end on a let's end on a happy note. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, um, Jimmy Webb is out doing a lot of solo gigs now. You right. Know, you know he goes out and does a lot. I've seen. I've, I've only. I've I've seen two. I think recently. You know, I've got, I've got, I knew him back in LA in the in the seventies when I first got to meet him. So. Uh, some people come up to him and have gone up to him and oh, said, done the whole Boy, I love that Albert Lee song you do. So, <laughs> Albert Lee, I wrote that song. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, well. At least he get the royalty checks, doesn't he? So, uh, oh, well, and boy, does he, yeah. Oh, well. well let, thank you so much again oh, for coming pleasure, on to Anderson's. Pleasure, Thanks right. again to Wayne and all the guys at Strings and Things for, for helping organise right. this. But, uh, yes, long may you continue doing what you do because oh, you're a wonderful so. musician. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's been brilliant. But thank you guys for, for watching another episode of Anderson's TV. Uh, and we shall see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to our latest podcast if you enjoyed it hit that subscribe button see you next time 